Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey guys, welcome to And The Writer Is. I'm your host, Ross Golan. I've written with hundreds of artists and writers over the years, and my favorite part of each session is the first hour when we catch up about life, the industry, politics, composition, whatever. So this is a journey of learning why people write songs, how people write songs, and most importantly, who the people are who write the songs. I'm producing this with the great Joe London, Big Deal Music Publishing, and Mega House Music Management. If you want to listen to the songs we discuss in this podcast, follow us on our socials, find out about special live events, or buy that merch, a.k.a. that hat I always wear, go to our website, www.andthewriteris.com. For a little bit of context, we just wanted you to know that a lot of these were recorded before quarantine. And as we know, a lot has changed in 2020. So again, please stay safe out there and enjoy the new episodes of And The Writer Is. This week's episode is sponsored by BMI. At BMI, music moves their world just like it moves mine. BMI is my performing rights organization. They're the bridge between people who create music, like me, and the businesses that bring it to the public. They make sure I get paid when my music is streamed on apps or shows, played on radio, at live shows, or in bars, gyms, basically anywhere where music is played. And they do this for over 900,000 songwriters, composers, and music publishers with more than 14 million songs across genres. But it's more than that. They help us navigate the music industry. They create opportunities for aspiring writers and composers through stages at festivals, song camps, and workshops. And they connect us with the right people. They're also on Capitol Hill fighting for copyright protection and fair royalties. And they work hard to ensure the future of music. They have my back and they'll have yours. Learn more at BMI.com. This episode is brought to you by the new Quibi series, Royalties. Royalties is a 10-episode scripted comedy about songwriters trying to make hit songs daily. The show is created by and stars Emmy and Golden Globe winning actor, my friend Darren Chris, Go Blue, who also co-wrote all 10 original songs. Just to give you a sense of the show, they have Mark Hamill as a country star named Philip Combs singing about King Kong's small penis. They have Jennifer Coolidge as a pop diva who decides to do a K-pop collab and Rufus Wainwright as a dance music icon. You can watch all 10 episodes and music videos on Quibi with a free 14-day trial. And Republic Records has released the entire soundtrack. So go check out Royalty.
Welcome to And The Writer Is. I am your host, Ross Golan. Today's groundbreaking prodigy <laughs> is a multi-platinum writer who's penned career-defining records for some of the biggest names in music. Having produced beats at home since she was 13, this writer found a way to do it all. Now, just to name a few of her legendary collaborators, she's recorded Cardi B, Meek Mill, Kaylani, Jay-Z, and Beyonce, the latter which are only upstaged by the Lion Kings, Nala and Simba. She's currently enjoying a top 10 record with No Guidance by Chris Brown featuring Drake and co-wrote what will inevitably be 2020's next breakout star, Summer Walker's new single. That's just a few credits to back up this 22-year-old songwriter's resume. All the way from across the river in New Jersey, this woman is already advancing female empowerment in this male-dominated industry. And the writer is Nisha Charles. Hello, 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 hello. Thank you for that introduction. Man, it's long-winded today. <laughs> You're like, I feel like because in New York you just walk everywhere, that yeah. I show up everywhere a little short of breath. <laughs> it's all the exercise. Man, um, we were just talking about L.A. and, and New York and what's better. Uh, what's better in your opinion? Um, I think for the work, living in L.A. is better. But just for, you know, just a human lifestyle, I like New York so much better because I feel like when back when I was living in New York, music was a small part of my day. You know mm. what I mean? Like I would wake up, um, go get brunch or breakfast, um, maybe go to the studio really quickly. But then I would handle like other stuff like... I don't know, just handling a lot of errands. Like, I just remember music, even though I was working on music all the time, it was such a small part of, like, just my schedule. And I would hang out with friends more, party more. Um, But it was well-balanced. Meanwhile, when I'm in L.A., like, all I do is music, wake up, sessions at 1 p.m., maybe do a double, and then I come home and eat and rest up for the next day to repeat it. Yeah, and family is out here as well, and I, I felt like it was more it was well balanced out here as compared to LA. Is that just from having grown? I mean, we can start from the beginning. You're you were born and raised in New Jersey, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, what was your family life like? My family life was uh, great. Um, Siblings, and what do you got? So I have one little sister. Um, we're four and a half years apart, um, and I have. Two aunts, one who's kind of close in age with me, an uncle who's close in age with me. So they were like my brothers and sisters. And then um, all of my family is like really into music. None of them went into the music industry, but, you know, I was always around it. My dad was a DJ and in Jersey, uh, house music is big over there. So I was always hearing house music. Um, And my dad was always putting me on a new music and well, old music. uh, And my family just was always singing and my aunt and uncle made beats. So me being like six, seven years old and watching them, you know, bang on this little keyboard, like I'm like, I want to do that. Like, but they would never let me do it in the beginning because I was so young and, you know, it was such a new thing for them. Um, 
But eventually, like, I just, I was always fascinated by it and it, it grew my interest. And I started, when, as I got older, I started researching Ryan Leslie videos when he was making the beats on, on YouTube. And that's when I really started, like, honing in. Like, at 13 years old, my mom bought me my own keyboard, you know, after all those years of saying I want that, I want that. And from then on, it, you know, it just went crazy. What did you start making beats on? I started on Reason. Uh-huh. Started on reason, and then once I uh, I realized I wanted to record vocals, I started using Logic. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, were your aunt and uncle writing for other people, or were they writing for themselves? No, they weren't even writing. Or they just like I mean, when you're saying they're making beats, they're just ha- or they're just having fun making beats, and yeah. that's just like a hobby. Yeah, like it was their hobby, and the, actually, my my uncle used it as a little hustle because they would like upload their beats to like SoundClick and little mm-hmm. things like that, and have like little beat deals. But they weren't really like writing songwriting necessarily, just making beats for fun. So why did you ever want to start doing vocal stuff? Like why why bother if you're already doing beats at 13? I mean, what's a Well, what the, changed it? The thing for me was I think the marketing. I'm like as I grew older, I realized like people uploading their beats to SoundCloud wasn't the way to go. I'm like how am I going to um be out how am I going to outshine everyone or, you know, get the spotlight I need if everyone does this? Uh, so I was like, well, people want to hear a song, so let me just sing on top of my beats and upload it to SoundCloud, and then that way people will want my beats more because, you know, I'm I'm just thinking of this as a marketing tool, not even, like, this is what I want to do. So eventually I started, like, singing on top of my beats, and people started paying attention more to the songs. They were like, yeah, 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 the beats are cool, but, like, who's this? And also, who's the producer? And I'm like, well, that's the whole point. It's me. So that's when I realized, like, people really like the song. So I started uh, taking, uh, filming snippets of uh, the little songs I was doing and putting them on Instagram, like 60-second clip videos. And then that started to gain attraction from, like, A&Rs and other producers. It jumped all the way to that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, what is going, I mean, what's going to junior high and high school Making beats, did you and writing songs? Because I, I feel like when I was writing songs growing up, I would I would write songs, but I'd I'd be in my room writing, and then maybe I'd play some gigs out and stuff like that. But I wasn't uploading anything, you know. Did right. everyone in school know that you were doing this? Was it no. like that? No. So I was I didn't record for a long, long time. I didn't start recording until I was like sixteen, seventeen, and even then. Uh, it wasn't like that big. Um, from 13 to 16, I was just making beats and I would like give them to people in my hometown who made music. So it was like I, I created a little buzz for myself um, there. Um, so they, they knew that I was doing music, but they didn't know how full scale it was. Do they now? Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Is it weird when you go home? Um, It's... It's a little weird. It definitely is a little weird. Some people have popped up at my grandmother's house, like asking where I'm at. Like, I was on the the state newspaper, um, the front page. So I woke up on everyone's lawn. Well, everyone woke up with me on their lawns, <laughs> and I had to give autographs and stuff. Like, it was it was a little weird. You went. You got into Clive Davis at NYU, right? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Um, 
Why did why did you want to go to school at that point? Well, really, I knew I wanted to get into music, but my mom was a, a mechanical engineer, and me growing up, I was always into other things other than music. Like I was into sports, I was really into math and science, and my mom, she she wasn't really on board with the music thing. She always knew it was a hobby, but she was like, "You need to go to school, get a real job, you know, study something real." So my I was college was always mandatory for me, um, and she went to Georgia Tech, so I wanted to go to Georgia Tech. But as you know, in the later years of high school, I realized like I did not want to do that, and if I went to school, I had to go to school for something that you know I wanted to do. And I knew that music, even at this point, I didn't know that songwriting was what I wanted to do. I just knew I wanted to be a producer or something in music. So I was like, I need to study music. So that's when I enrolled at the. Uh, the NYU uh, Future Music Moguls program when I was a, a junior, and I got into their high school program, and that showed my mom, you know, that I was really serious, into, right, serious about it. And then um, the next year, I applied to the the college, and I got in because I was I was like, I need to study music. If honestly, all I I got full scholarships to other schools, and every school that I applied to, I applied to with a different major. That's how like. Much I was just like I I I don't know what I. So when you were when you were looking at you know you audition you get into or not audition but you get into a music school you know they had to your mom had to eventually deal with it and and like and and have to go through that emotional roller coaster of oh no my daughter's gonna do this whether I like it or not I mean what were those conversations like. Um, the conversations with my mom was always, you know, they were very hesitant. Um, she was like, is this really what you want to do? Um, I really want you to, you know, have a backbone, you know, I need you to support yourself. And, you know, I I was always like, you know, I'm going to be able to support myself. Um, but when she finally, the nail in the coffin was my sophomore year when I got my first cut from Chris, Chris Brown. And that's when she realized, okay. This is serious. Yeah. What did your your dad being a DJ? Yeah. Like how was he responding to things? My dad is an old school DJ, so he hardly even knows about like how to use softwares on a laptop. Yeah. So me telling him about everything that I was doing was just like, Oh, okay, well that's nice. That's dope. He it didn't really register for him until like I got Grammy nominated and I moved away. That's when he was like, "Oh, you're like really doing this for real." So for him, it was a little different, right? Yeah. Um, you're a sophomore in New York City. You know, New York City. It's mm-hmm. how do you? You know, we have a lot of listeners of people who are in high school and college, and nice. they're trying to figure out how to get their beats heard, how to get songs heard. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in a major city. There are a bunch of record labels. But how do you get your songs heard? I mean, it's different from, you know, there are a lot of people who post things like you were saying, but how how was that light shining on you? Like you were saying, how did you get get noticed? Why is it that Chris Brown ends up cutting your song? So me, I was never aiming to get my stuff to A&Rs or like the managers or whatever. I was more so connecting and networking with producers. And I think those producers around the city and just using net, um, using Instagram as a networking tool, period. So um, oh, cool. producers around you know the world, with their connections, it was always word of mouth. And they would tell like an A&R manager that they knew about me and the work. Or like, oh, check this girl out. Like her songs are dope. And then that's how 
A&Rs and, you know, people in the business started. Who's the first producer that kind of brought you into a studio where you weren't just writing, but it was, you know, you, you're networking and then there's sort of some producer who says, I'm going to bring you to a real studio and you go from... You know, write, writing, doing, using logic in your room is is a great way for all writers to write. Mm-hmm. But there's this certain change when you walk into a commercial studio and you look around. And you're like, oh man, there's a runner here who's right. about to grab you coffee. So actually, <laughs> the the first person who brought me into the studio wasn't a producer. It was Jay Grand, um, the SVP at RCA. And how did he hear you? He heard about me through my manager, Christian, who wasn't managing me at the time. Uh, Jay Grant still lives in New York, so he at, he was friends with Christian. He was like, yo, um, I need a writer. You know any writers in New York? And Christian, I had just met Christian, well, met him via Instagram like two weeks prior. And he was like, well, I know one. And he called on me. He was like, yo, do you think you can go down to Jungle City Studios in like 15 minutes? I was doing homework. I was like, yeah. All I knew was that Jungle City was like the, one of the best studios in New York. So I dropped my homework and I ran down there. I didn't even know who Jay Grant was. And so I met him and he ended up being like my, this major mentor to me. Like I love Jay Grant to this day. He definitely started a lot of things for me. Um, I went down there and he, the first producer he had me work, working with was Nick Twice as Nice, Nick Odino. Um, and yeah, he was like, he was very brutal, um, very blunt as well. Um, but he told me how he told it to me how how it is, and he liked what I did the first day, and he invited me back the second day, and he was like, "Listen, I'm gonna tell you like this: you're going to be a big songwriter, so I'm gonna just help you work through this, and I'm just letting you know how it's gonna go because you have a lot of potential." And I'm like, "Oh, thank you," <laughs> but yeah, he really he really started off. A lot of events in my career. Did you go back to the dorm after that and keep working on whatever homework you were? Yeah, actually, I think I finished it in the morning because after I left the studio, it was like maybe like two, three a.m. How many more years of school did you do before you were just like, this isn't worth it? Um, I finished out my sophomore year. I was really trying to go. Uh, I wanted because my mom was adamant about me finishing school. She didn't care about, you know, she cared about the Chris Brown cuts, but she was like, I need a, a college graduate in my house. So um, she wanted me to finish, but I, my, my NYU made it mandatory for my year to study abroad in Berlin um, our junior year. And that was when my career really started picking up, and I just, I couldn't do that. So I took a leave of absence the year after. Does, are you close with your little sister? Yeah, very. Does she want to do music? She wants to be in the music business. What does that mean? Like she wants to work on the label side? Or, yeah, 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 she wants to work on the label side, marketing, and she's very creative. Because now in she's aspect. she'd be going to school too then. If she's four and a half years younger, she's got to be starting to look at colleges, yep, right? Right now, yep. Is it is that pressure for your family to have yeah. her finish? Because, yeah. like, did she give you shit about how <laughs> I'm like... Yeah, she's like, this is your fault. And well, really my mom's like, I need at least one college graduate. <laughs> she's like, I can't have two dropouts. Yeah. So, but the music industry is weird like that. I mean, no yeah. one's ever asked me, you know, for my, like, I've never had to sh- present my degree regardless of whether I went right. to school. Like, right. I don't, I, I can see, you can still say you went to NYU. And even that, no one really is looking at that. They're right. like, they want to know what songs you've written with or who you've written with, you know? Right. 
But I think um, it's just a traditional thinking uh, for families, you know. And I think my mom just wants to, you know, she just wants that label. How did you feel as a young woman walking into that world that is predominantly male without any real like at that point you didn't really have the credits mm-hmm. and these people are have been really mentors i mean obviously you know you know jay grand some of these people have been on your side but you still had to walk in and be creative in a room full mm-hmm. of people who have you know it they're just it's not always it's not always conducive for a woman to walk in and be creative and be right. supported. You know, how did you feel walking in as you know at that point? Um, walking in, I was always secure with myself, and I have to thank I have to thank my mom for that because she always instilled in me like you know, even though you're going to be, especially being a black woman, like you know, you're you have a lot to prove to people. So make sure you have you have to be at least you know twice as better you know, as the people who are in the room in order to get that respect. So I always had that mentality. I, I was never insecure or, you know, thinking about, oh, what are they going to think? Or, you know, I I, I I just never thought of it like that. I always made sure that, like, I did my best and whatever I brought into the room was going to be respected. Yeah. Um, when you're writing with Chris Brown, um, that's one of your first sessions, right? Like big... Um, it, I wasn't in the room with him when I had my first cut. So one of my first big sessions, I believe, was with David Guetta. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like in L.A.? Or yeah, were you here? in L.A. And I, yeah, I didn't have my big, big sessions um, out here. So what happens? So you go into these sessions and you start getting songs that sound pro. Mm-hmm. You're working with bigger name producers and whatnot. Yeah. What's the, you know... Like you were saying, Christian introduced you to Jay Grant. Mm-hmm. So Christian's your manager. Yeah. You know, what's the steps that goes from, you know, introducing your music to the head of RCA, one of the senior vice presidents of RCA, like going that to getting a major publishing deal? Oof. Like what what are all the steps that happen for it was somebody? So fast and it was within a year. So um going from Jay Grant uh, after the first time I met him, I want to say like maybe one or two weeks after, uh, he was like, I want you in LA with me. I'm going to do some sessions. And I was like, okay, okay, cool. It was my spring break. I went out there. And, uh, during that time is when I met Christian finally. And as soon as I met Christian, he was like, all right, cool. I'm gonna take you to some meetings. And my first time in LA, I got my first offer, which was from APG. Um, and, after that, word spread around, like, wildfire. Um, I think it was because of the bounces. You know, like, different producers from different publishers um, were in the room. So, of course, they heard um, the bounces as well. And then they started reaching out. And then I ended up going back and forth to L.A. Uh, every weekend. Well, every week. So I would go to school Monday afternoon to Thursday <laughs> and then fly out Thursday night and be in L.A. till Monday morning. And that was every week until I finished school. And um, during that whole spring semester, I was just being courted by uh, publishers. And I finally made my decision around my my birthday or actually around this time. Yeah, before Thanksgiving. Um, and I signed with UMPG. But it was a, a almost eight months of 
you know, me being courted and just working and filling the temperature out with all the publishers. I mean, it's always fun when you're, uh, you know, part of, I've been in the business for a minute as a writer. Mm -hmm. So it's like, you always know when there's a lot of buzz because a few people are going to email you being like, hey, you want to write with Nisha? And you're like, well, so you're one of the people who's interested. (laughs) You're one of the, you know, it's just, it's just how it goes. So there definitely was a lot of buzz around it. And, uh, David Gray is amazing. So. Yeah, I love David. Jo- Jody, Lilia, everyone there. I love UMPG. Yeah. Um, so did the, you know, Flow Rider Ola, mm-hmm. you know, that's one of those records where I would assume that that, did that come from one of the APG sessions? Or um, how does something like that, is that, like, did some of these cuts come from the courting phase? Some of, actually, Ring. Ring definitely came from the courting phase. Flow Rider actually came from a Jay Grand session. I had did a, another song, and, you know, Mike Karen, uh, like Frankenstein, he, like, took my verse and put it into, like, a, another sure. song that he had. And that's how that happened, but... Did you meet Cardi B? Did you work with her? I ended up meeting her, uh, well, I met her before she really got lit. I met her here in New York um, in the studio that she was working out of. Um, but I didn't work in the room with her making Ring and I Do. Um, Ring and I Do, Ring featuring Kehlani, I Do featuring SZA. Yep. You just kind of got like the trifecta of, of, you know, the 2019 royalty, yeah. like right there. Um, having Invasion of Privacy, which is such a big album, obviously the album was nominated and whatnot. Yeah. How did you... You know, how do you emotionally deal with success? Um, I'm pretty level-headed, um, mainly because with the success, I'm just thankful for, you know, I'm, I'm thankful for everything that came into fruition. Um, I think the the hardest part about dealing with it is being away from my family so long um, and also all of the attention. Um, but, you know... I already what do you mean all the attention? All the attention meaning like, um, you know, of course there's going to be uh, controversy with, you know, talking about the rap stuff. Um, like people ask me if I, I ghost wrote for Cardi and it's like, no, I have not ghost written for Cardi. I only wrote the hooks that Kehlani and SZA wrote. But then also there's the good stuff where people telling me that, you know, I'm their inspiration and, you know, I'm doing it for the young people, which I love that. So it's always the, the good and well, not the good and bad, but it's a lot of stuff to, you know, tackle. Um, obviously, I feel like the biggest names that you can get in the music business are going to be Jay Z and Beyonce. Yeah, you know, like you just can't get bigger. There right. literally is nobody <laughs> bigger. Um, how did they hear about you? Um, no idea. No idea. Did you just get a phone call? Yeah, being like, hey, it's Beyonce. Yeah, I know. I know. Christian was literally trying to he was trying everything in his power any way he could to like get my music heard um but i think i think it was through brandon kitchen i think brandon kitchen knew um some of some of the people on her team he got it some somehow some way um he sent over a couple of my songs that i would have never thought to send and she liked some of them and that was, Christian gave me the call, I was around Coachella, and I was like, what? 
what Beyonce likes on some of the songs and then <laughs> that so was crazy. yeah that was like the first you know the beginning of me and Beyonce's you know relationship well, it's like uh, I feel like a lot of people want um you know they ask how to get songs heard and the the easiest answer is write better songs <laughs> you know cuz people will spread these things and even those songs that you wouldn't think to sing mm-hmm. or send those are the ones that get cut because you have so many songs right. that somebody's like well these are available let's send these or these make sense so let's send these it's a you know I, i'm i'm a, i'd like to think i'm a quality guy over a quantity guy mm-hmm. but in reality you need both yeah and you have to be able to create just an abundance of material that yep. people want because otherwise you know no one's going to hear it. you can't just send nothing and right. hope that they you know and tell someone look niche is amazing it's like yeah but let me hear something and yeah. then they have to be able to not just hear but respond to it so it has to be exceptional exactly you know you were saying you were doing that you know sometimes you do double sessions and yeah. you do you know the part of the LA grind, and I suppose there are probably people who do two sessions a day in New York too. But there's a there are times where one session a day makes sense. There's a time when one hour a day makes sense, and then there's a time where you go and you do a month of doing two sessions a day, sometimes three. And those yeah. sessions, you're writing multiple songs and multiple yeah. ideas. How do you when you were saying you go home and you recoup? kind of planning for the next day mm-hmm. how do you how do you not rewrite the same songs how do you let, write how are you creative every time and do you rewrite songs every time do you use the same titles do you, you know like how do you deal with um, doing two two sessions a day for as long as you have even just the last like year or so mm-hmm. two years of living in LA that is so <laughs> many songs i i've definitely sl- slowed down on the doubles um i only do doubles when it makes sense like you know if i can't cancel a session or or an artist is in town and that's the only day they can do it or it's an artist i really or a producer i really wanted to get in with then i would do that um so it's not all the time but in order for me to stay creative i try i try to stay away from um using the same song titles um but for me, I'm the biggest bum. So after sessions, I go home. I literally do nothing. I just eat. And I'm a big TV show watcher. What are you watching now? Uh, right now, I'm watching... Uh, I watch a lot of reality TV shows. I'm watching Black Ink Crew. <laughs> um, and I'm watching... I just finished Up Power. Um, I love Insecure. I love Shameless. I love uh, MILF. Uh what else do I like? I like watching bad t- uh, cartoons like uh, Family Guy and <laughs> um, uh, Big Mouth, things like that. I'm 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 a heavy binge watcher too. So, do you have any social life right now? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, in LA, it's a little different, just because like most of my friends are music friends. So I do hang, and you know, everyone in the music industry is a little older than me. So. Um, I do have a social life though. Like I hang out with my manager a lot, and like my my photographer, and you know some of the artists that I work with. I hang out with them a lot. I love going to Shaba, which I just missed. Shout out to Billy Walsh. Um, and yeah, yeah. Is it is it hard to be younger than everybody? 
Um, it definitely was at a point in time because I just turned 21. Oh yeah, well, you couldn't you couldn't go out even if they wanted to. Right. I mean, yeah. I just turned 22, but like I was in LA yeah. for a whole two years, so there was a great chunk. And, and my birthday's in October, so there was a great chunk of that first year where I couldn't do anything. And everyone else is like, you know, I finish as soon as we finish the session, they're like, "Yo, you want to go to the bar?" I can't. And I already look young, so my fake ID will not work <laughs> with the bouncers. So. <laughs> It was it was definitely hard in the beginning, but like I, I maintained my social life with like going to uh, going to the pier and going go karting, like stuff like that, or, or going to Six Flags. Sure. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Quibi's new show, Royalties, is basically a satire about And the Writer Is, and it is hysterical. It's basically the untold story of songwriters behind the world's biggest hits and follows the songwriting duo Sarah and Pierce as they navigate the strange and hilarious challenges of creating great songs for insane artists. You can check out the music, which has been released on the one and only Republic Records on your favorite DSP. So go check out Quibi's new show, Royalties, now. This week's episode is sponsored by BMI. Full disclosure, Joe and I are both BMI songwriters. So we didn't write this, but we believe it. BMI, we celebrate your talent, value your music, and champion your rights. To all our songwriters and composers, your passion is ours. BMI, music moves our world. Meek Mill and 21 Savage, totally different artists. Yeah. Both had huge albums come sort of back to back that you were part of. Yeah. Um, the Meek Mill one featuring Cardi B again mm-hmm. and featuring LMA, like uh, just again, j- just royalty for <laughs> this last year. Yeah. Um, how was the process of working with someone like Meek? And Twenty One Savage, both who've dealt with, you know, recent very public injustices to both of them. Yeah, you know, did there's a time where being an artist makes you part of politics, mm-hmm. and both of those albums and both of those artists really were had to be political this year because they were just unjustly 
in trouble for things, you know. Mm. How did you deal with being part of those specific projects? Did did any of that stuff that was happening in the zeitgeist did that did any of that affect you in any way? Well, not with Twenty One because when Twenty One when we, when we were working on his album, he wasn't going through that stuff at the time. Right, so right, right. that was a little different. But me working with Meek, he had just gotten out of jail, and um. I just knew, and he was always expressing to me, like, you know, he had something to say. He wanted to say something. So, you know, I had to always keep that in mind when I was working with him. Like, it it couldn't just be the regular, like, party records. Like, I would play him, like, you know, just regular radio records that, you know, you could give, pass around. And he was like, no, like, I I can't do this. It's sort of the exact opposite situation of something like Celebrate. Yeah. Which, as a DJ Khaled record to have featuring Post Malone and Travis Scott. Yeah. Also, again, just uh, one of those event records <laughs> that just has some massive names attached to it. Yeah. Um, is there is there ever a time when you see those kinds of names where you have a certain expectation for the song? Like, do you expect the song to be, um, you know, do do you go into a song being released thinking? Thinking about you know where the song's gonna go. Do you daydream about these records? You know how do you how do you deal with having Post Malone, Travis Scott, and DJ Khaled on the song? I mean, I think when when everyone sees uh, or hears about certain names being on a record, you automatically think like, oh, this is out of here because it's like Post Malone, one of the biggest artists right now, like record-breaking sales, Travis Scott, same, DJ Khaled, same. So it's like when you have all of this together, it's like there's no way this can flop. You yeah. know what I mean? So I think I think everyone just goes into it with that expectation. Do you, um, do you have a threshold on what you think success is? No. Oh, yes, I do. I think success is when you're able to take care of any and everything without a care in the world. You know, no worries. Yeah. You mean like financially speaking? Financially and when you don't have any more goals to fulfill. What are the goals that you have to fulfill now? Uh, There's so many. I need, I want a number one on the Hot 100. Um, I want to sign producers. I want to sign writers. I want to start my own record label, my my own publishing company. Um, Are you looking to do that now? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Have you started that? Yes. Yeah. Um, there's some producers that I, I really like working with. Um, I'm in the process of doing that. Um, and I also I want to cross over into the pop world. You know, I want to get a number one in the the pop radio top forty radio charts. So, you know, there's there's a lot of things that I I have to knock off my wish list. Um, a song like No Guidance, which right now is um, this week in particular, is kind of peaking. It has a new peak at... Um, it's 21, 21 weeks. Yeah. Yeah. Um, this is the highest so I think it's been on, on Billboard, right? No, no, no. It was it was, it was number five. It peaked at number five at one time. Oh, I thought it was like number five like now. No, no? It's, it's number seven, Post Malone and, uh, and Lizzo. Oh, so I'm, a, I'm off by, by a couple <laughs> weeks. But like, um, you know, and by the time this is heard, we don't know where it'll be. But... Um, a song like this, you know, it it adds another name with Drake, and it. Do you are you able to leverage these relationships, you know, for you to go in with Drake in particular outside of Chris Brown, who you've worked with before? Um, it makes it a little easier. 
it definitely makes it a little easier. But, you know, again, like, it's still, you know, these artists are still kind of hard to work with sometimes. Well, not hard to work with, but it's still hard to get into that circle because, you know, like like Post Malone, you know, his people are Lou and Frank and, and, and Billy. So it's kind of hard to infiltrate that circle, which is the same with Drake. He has his day ones, and I respect everyone for that because they work with who they started with. So it makes sure. it a little easier, but, you know, it's still those situations. Um Two more people I want to talk about before getting into some other things. But um, first one is Summer Walker, who I think is like, could be one of those people that's like the day ones. Feels like it's so early in her career, but there's so much buzz about yeah. her. That do you think that that's, is that one of those relationships that you're talking about? Do you feel like that could be a situation where you could build a career with an artist like that? Yeah, um, me and Summer Walker have so, so much music out and coming out at the same time. You know, I think we, me, her, and London have just created this system that works. You know, it works for all of us. What's that system like? Um, me helping co-writing uh, her situations and, you know, him producing the track and, you know, her performing it, it just all, it works out. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we have to talk about the Lion King. Man, yeah, the Lion King. I think on some level, especially because, you know, you grew up, I'm sure, with the Lion King movie. Yeah. So how do you feel about being a part of this process and and you know, it just, it's it's out of your, it's out of the wheelhouse in the way that you know, if you're saying that you want to reach for, you know, a, a hot or not a Hot 100 number one, but a pop radio number one, mm-hmm. you know, when you're looking at a box office smash yeah. on movies, that's also something that you weren't reaching for, but right. you kind of achieved that. So, how do you feel about that whole process? What went down? How did you get a part of it? Man, well. <sighs> The Lion King, I'm I'm just glad to be a part of that because that was a part of history and it was like my childhood. So being able to um, redo that, you know, for the next generation was very, very dope. Um, but me, I'm just glad that wasn't my first time working with Beyonce because I think that would have put so much more pressure on me. So being that this was the, the second time, it took a lot of pressure off and I was a little more relaxed working you know on the material if you have a goal of getting a pop number one mm-hmm. you know uh pop radio number one top 40 do you um do you change who you write with because you're aiming for that in particular or is it just sort of something that you you just would like to have happen um is that a, like a goal an addressable goal um i think Yes, I do change who I'm writing with to make that happen, but I change that in order to for me to become better. So, like, when I'm working on the rhythmic stuff, I don't usually work with co-writers because how I work is very fast and in the booth, I you know, I freestyle. But when it comes to pop songs, like, I need to become better, so I like co-writing with other pop writers and bouncing off ideas and working with pop producers, you know, working with, you know, the producers who, like, make, I don't know, like, no guidance. I, I don't think it would make sense to make a be- uh, make a song with them for, like, Selena Gomez. So you, you get what I mean. Like, I think changing... Why not? Because it's... How can I say this? I, th- I think there needs to be other elements put into a pop song. 
if if you notice no the no guidance song is is a loop until the part where drake switches up whereas in a pop song you know there's changes and there's chord changes and i think the the main difference is that uh in urban music producers are beat makers whereas pop producers are producers like actual producers like they pull the pianos out they pull out all the instruments and you know they even write songs on the guitar you will hardly ever walk into a rap session and see them making a song to a guitar. You know, it's loops. So I think that can be, it, it's great for hooks, but in order to pull like a real song out with like a lot of thought into it, um, it's a little harder. And that's why I think working with other producers who are more experienced in that realm is a better idea. You started from doing from making beats mm-hmm. and now that you have the experience working in you know urban and pop mm-hmm. do you feel like you could produce again oh yeah i'm definitely getting back into it how so so i've been on both sides uh working in logic and making loops and um doing my drums in fruity loops and then also sending samples out to like urban producers or even like pop producers as well but um when it comes to pop, uh, I like taking splice loops and you know sending them, writing a song over it and sending it out to pop producers to fin- uh, flesh out. I've seen interviews with you and read some stuff about you wanting to be something of an artist too, and you were featured on yeah. in The Lion King. Mm-hmm. Um, when you, assuming you're going to pursue that, yeah, do you? collaborate or when you write do you write alone on you know lyric and melody and so i write alone i write alone yeah because uh, the stuff that i'm writing for myself is mainly urban and again for me co-writing on urban music it kind of it not to say that it doesn't work but it kind of like makes me hesitate and i overthink stuff um just because it stops my process like how i naturally work um on urban songs do you think that that you could that there's a world where there can be both where you write pop songs where you kind of just go off the cuff and do freestyle more and is there a world where people write urban music where they you know have like you were saying chord changes and whatnot what do you think that that those you know when i think if you think of uh urban music 25 years ago mm-hmm. there are all kinds of chord changes right. you know but i i don't know if it's out of you know just because it's easier to do loops and to create more content that that's the way it's become but do you feel like it could go back i'm just wondering do you think the music's going to change or is this sort of the way it is right now and people are going to get um tighter into it i think i think there's a chance that it can come back like right now the guitar the guitar uh, instrumentations are a big thing in urban music right now, like with Juice World and <clears throat> and XXX. Um, so maybe there can be uh, chord changes, and I, I'm sure like Lil Nas X will probably you know experiment with that with all the different things that he's bringing into you know urban music. Um, but you know, like I I technically I honestly wouldn't like expect the main rappers to rap over things like that at least not right now because it's such a a 
the drums are the thing that makes the beat what it is. Sure. Not so much the chords. So I don't I don't think for right now. But when you say you're making beats at home, are you doing are are you then sending those out to artists right now and kind of just seeing if any of them cut them? Yeah. Yep, yep, yep. Are you getting some cuts as a Yep. Oh. Um, can you tell me? Can you tell me? I can't. I can't. No, no, no. No one's listening to I this. Can't. <laughs> <laughs> Not yet, at okay, least. Okay, okay, fair enough. Um, let's go to the next segment. Okay. Five for five. I'm going to name five things and just tell me some things off the cuff. Okay. Okay. Let's start with the Carters. Oh. Just tell you five things. I'm just gonna name five. I'm gonna name five things. And you just tell me like what the, what what comes to your head. No rules, really. Okay, royalty. Um, what else comes to my head? Uh, one of the most, one of the best and the, the most high pressure of of all times uh, events that happened in my life. Um, uh, Grammys. <laughs> um, um, billionaires. Crazy. And, uh, what's the last thing? That is that what you want to? Is that what? Is like? Do you think of? Because you're starting at at an age where you know, uh, it's you're you're at such a success. You've you're at a certain level of success already at this point that things like investing in your future means something different than somebody who's fifty who's investing in their future for the first time. Right. You know, do you see yourself owning things like clothing lines, or is it for you? You're 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 more focused right now just on. Um, I'm on music. I'm focused on music, but I'm about to start. You know thinking about those things. I've always thought about those things, but now I'm actually going to get into it with like my business manager once I, you know, get one and really hone in on that cuz it's definitely about that time. But there's many other things that I want to get into. Like what? Like I want to build apps. Um I want to, you know, own a couple franchises, um make like my own drink or something. I'm really into food and stuff like that. Um, I want to get into to the TV world and like produce TV shows. Um, and tech. Yeah. Um, let's go with UMPG, your publisher. Uh, okay. Lilia, um, Sinks, um, Sessions, Great Sessions. Um, How are they interactive with you? Like, do you send them all your songs you write? Yeah, Lilia has, Lilia and Sterling, I think that they have like a link to all of my songs, all of my demos. Um, That way, Lilia, as soon as I upload, you know, a new demo, Mm -hmm. she goes out and, you know, tries to place them. Um, She really, she knows every single one of my demos. Like Crazy. Yeah, I love Lilia to death. I was her first signee. Um, and I made sure the reason why I picked the MPG is because like I had a relationship with everyone there. Like I wanted to make sure that it was like a, you know, a team effort. You know, I didn't want to just go to uh, a label and it just be me and my A&R because, you know, what if they leave? Right. You know, and it happens all the time. So I wanted to make sure that, you know, I knew everyone and everyone knew me and I can say that it was successful at UMPG. Yeah. <clears throat> Jay Grand. Jay Grand. 
my music father, um, one of the best mentors, a crazy, crazy guy. Um, let's see, what else do I say about him? A great ear. He has a great ear. And the funniest when he's drunk. <laughs> <laughs> Christian McCurdy, your manager. Uh, Christian. Um, annoying. <laughs> <laughs> My brother. Um, the nicest guy you'll ever meet. Um, the most compassionate guy I've ever met. And crazy for being going raw vegan. Wow. Yeah. Why did he do that? Uh, he just wanted to change his life up. Um, and I think he said mainly discipline. Yeah. Yeah. He went raw vegan for like a year. He stopped, but I, I remember that was like, weird. I'm like, you're still, you're only eating like grass and nuts and berries? Like, no thanks. What about, <clears throat> you know, the last one I have many questions about, mm -hmm. but let's just, um, I'm curious what she, how you guys are talking about your career now, but your mom. Oh, my mom is the best support system. Um, the best teacher because she's instilled so many lessons um, in me. Especially like she she was a mechanical engineer and she was like a VP at her job for Verizon. Um, and she was like the only black woman who was a, a real boss at, at her job and I I took it for granted when I was younger because I just thought that was normal and all the lessons she was teaching me didn't register until I got older and I'm like oh okay now I see how much of a boss she really was um, and just the values that she's instilled with me um, values she's ta taught me a lot of that um, the nicest person she's loved by everyone I, I can't think of anyone who's ever disliked her and um, loving. She's very loving. If you were to give a young writer advice, mm -hmm. what would you say? I would say don't pay attention to the outside um, opinions. Worry ab about you and your craft. And when you believe in your craft, then go out and get it. When you say don't worry about outside opinions, did you have to, did people give outside opinions that you had to ignore? Yeah, all the time. But I think that one thing that I, I, I love about me is that I don't really care. Um, and I'm the type of person that, like, you can tell me the, the sky's blue, but I need to go out there and see it for myself. So there was a lot of people who would tell me, like, no, maybe this could be better. And I'm like, all right, well, you didn't like it. That's fine. Like, I, I like it. So that's all that matters. And eventually, you know, that got me somewhere because that same beat that one person didn't like ended up getting picked up. So totally, was, yeah. it is important that you know I tell tell the writers that I work with who are signed to me. You know, it's like I I will give my opinion. It doesn't mean it's right, mm -hmm. but I'll I'll at least qualify it the best I can and say this is why I think you could beat it or this is what I think you could do to make it better. But if somebody else hears it. You know, if there's like a chain of eight people on it, mm -hmm. I never respond, reply all. Because seven other people have opinions on this email. Right. And I don't want to color someone else's opinion mm -hmm. by me saying, I think it could be better. So even if, like, it's, it's important that when you give notes to someone or you give opinions, that you recognize that you could be wrong. Mm -hmm. 
Because it's so easy to go in thinking that you know everything, even if you're following the rules and doing all the math or whatever, writing, you know, it's easy to walk in and think you know the answer and and still be wrong. Uh, It's all up to interpretation. And, you know, I'll always hear someone out and, you know, take it into consideration. But at the end of the day, like if it if I didn't feel like it was logical or I just didn't think it was the best fit, like it's it's. it's up to interpretation at the end of the day. Yeah. Um, tell me about your artist career. So my artist career, um, long overdue. Um, I was, I'm planning on putting out something at least by the end of the year. Do you do it on your own or do you have a... Yeah. Oh, my own. I mean, like, you know, I do work with other producers, but like... No, I mean, like, I know we talked about the creative part, but the label side... Uh yeah, right now I'm I might go through a distributor, but right now I wanna do it by myself. You know, I don't think I wanna go to a major label. Is that by choice? Yeah. Yeah. I think we probably know some people that we could help you out if you want a deal deal. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll talk after this. Um um well look, thank you for doing this. Thank you. You know, I mean I think it's it's so important for for you know like the the last interview that I did in in this room in New York, um, which will be coming out next season, is with a band that sold like eighty million yeah. albums, and you know the the next person that I'm interviewing next week has like I think seventeen Grammys, Jeez. something like that. Like so he's this got like this, and these you know, and, but you know. Um, to they they got those because they're you know 50 60 years old and have been doing it for so long mm-hmm. and it's so important to make sure that we don't always just talk about what people did in their careers mm-hmm. as amazing as that is but to talk to people about what they're doing right you know and it the conversation you and I are going to have in five years from now is a totally different thing. You've only been writing in LA for two years, you said. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, that's just a crazy discography <laughs> to have. Like, you can't even predict the kind of things that you're going to do. Mm-hmm. And you might end up in movies and just the same way that you aim for a... Aim, I don't know. I, I can't say that a number one song in top 40 is going to be worth more than a n- number one movie in the box office. Right. But you weren't aiming for that. Right. And sometimes it's like, it's exciting to watch somebody walk through doors at this point in your career because you're walking through the biggest doors and you're holding it down enough that you end up being a part of it. So thank you for, for uh, you know being a part of this podcast but Thank you know you. thanks for being my new friend of course of course we can hang yeah we, we can write top 40 songs let's do it all right awesome thank you thanks for listening to this episode of and the writer is if you want to hear music from this songwriter i just interviewed be sure to check out our spotify playlist or visit our website at andthewriteris.com. If you like what we're doing, please subscribe to us. You can also like us on Facebook and Twitter. And the Writer Is is produced by Joe London, edited by Miles Bergsma, and published by Big Deal Music. 
A special thanks to David Silverstein from Mega House Music and Michael White. Until next time, this is Ross Golan. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.